0: This is the Evolution Exchange Podcast, a channel that connects some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordics region. I'm Andy, I help connect businesses with the best UX and UI freelance talent, and today I'm your host. Okay, and welcome to another episode of the Evolution Exchange Podcast. I'm joined by a great panel of guests today. Uh, We're going to be discussing the topic, how do you become a good manager? And the side heading of that, we're going to be talking about motivation through leadership. So a lot of interesting questions to get through today um, and a very interesting topic. So uh, we are joined today by Johan, who is a world director at Ubisoft Stockholm. Theus, who's an organizational progress and collaboration manager at Trophy Games. And Ruben, who's head of game production at Tactile Games. So we're going to, like we usually do, start off with some introductions. So, Johan, please could you uh, introduce yourself for us?
1: Yes, I can. Thanks, Andy. So, yeah, I work, as you said, as an art director at Ubisoft Stockholm uh, on an unannounced IP. Um, I've been in games since 2006. I've kind of started out as an artist, and I've done a ton of different things. I've worked at DICE, and uh, after that I worked at King, and then I ended up where I am now. So I think what the defines my career so far is a lot of uh, curiosity on how things that I'm not working on directly is working and never being able to know when to stop asking people questions.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, that's brilliant. Uh, Thiers, we'll come to you. No, oh, Thank you. And
2: uh, yeah, I'm sitting at uh, Trophy Games um, and uh, we are located uh, in Copenhagen with our main offices uh, growing fast. Uh, a year ago we were 15, now we are 50. Uh, i'm one of the people joining uh trophy games on an immense fast journey uh that has been historically based in football management handheld experiences uh but uh, has grown significantly since uh, ipo uh, like nine months ago uh so now we are 50 and uh one of the additional uh 35 that's me uh, and i regard Yes, my title is organizational progress and Collab- collaboration manager. What I'm really is is uh, the street sweeper for people much more skilled than myself. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm trying to to make uh, make the best of the people that uh, that is surrounding me and all the creative talent we have here in the office and uh, abroad and remote as well. And of course contingencies just like like uh, corona uh, needs to be taken care of so uh, as we all know uh, video calls and the uh, facilitation of creativity through uh, means of other than whiteboards and uh, and post-it notes all that you bang uh, that's me but basically i i'm the man with the organizational
0: broom to
2: sweep the floor
0: for uh, for excellent people
3: <laughs>
0: fantastic thank you and lastly Ruben. let's come to you then
3: yeah Hi, so I'm Ruben. I'm also here at uh, Copenhagen. Um, so actually, Tays and I, we work very closely. We just found out, <laughs> so a few meters away. So I, I also been working like uh, from uh, 2006 in video games. I started my career at uh, Gameloft. So I work uh, during 13 years, more or less, uh, at, at Gameloft uh, in Buenos Aires and then in Asia, different countries, um, and now I'm here at, uh, at Tactile. Uh, as a head of production so I do a little bit of everything as, as usual uh, production roles so it's a lot about the uh, processes and working with people and making sure they can actually do what they know how to do uh, so I thought that's me
0: fantastic thank you very much thank you all of you uh brilliant now we've sort of established a little bit of context to each year we're going to kick in um to our topics that we've got to discuss today or your guys's questions um so it's a really interesting topic and hopefully we get some really good discussion out of it so we're going to start with Theus and uh, kick off with your question please or what you want to talk about relating to the topic
2: yeah well i uh i well let's give the topic it's not a question it's a it's more of a topic uh, leadership through stupidity—it uh, sounds like uh, like just to be prerogative, but it's actually uh, something that I've worked with for many many years, um, and it uh, it relates to the goal of uh, of striving to uh, to get excellence in products and uh, and uh, splendid collaboration and timely delivery. So how does uh, stupidity fit into that thing? Well, the point is that. Uh, in order for people to in the well the framing is the creative business the games business so uh this whole thing has like a prerequisite that we're working in the agile uh, setup we have autonomous people uh, autonomous teams we have specialists working that's kind of like the, the framing of the whole thing how stupidity becomes relevant the point is that um a lot of the people that uh, that works in the game industry they are very very skilled and talented uh, and Experienced specialists, and they all assume and they all do know the answer from their specific specialities perspective. They are normally fairly introvert. That's one thing, and, and another thing uh, is that that they they strive through to efficiency through uh, non time wasting, aka they don't really want to talk together. They they don't really like uh, like strict guidelines and stuff like that. What I have experienced through many years is that as the person who are as the manager and uh, and the leader of teams and and larger or smaller uh if i post and i do post a stupid question then all the bright answers come back that would not be aired uh, in the in the groups that uh, that the individuals participate in so uh so then all of a sudden the uh, the graphics guy he starts to say that, well, the, uh, the best solution to the thing that you think uh, you have posed a question to, uh, the stupid question, uh, the, the smart answer is X. And then the backend guy goes, no, 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 the smart answer is Y. And then the, uh, then the, then the database guy he goes, oh, no, 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 it's this or that. Then all of a sudden, because I'm the, the leader and the manager of the team, they have to answer me. So even though they think I'm a complete idiot, for my stupid question, they have to answer it uh, due to my number of stars on the shoulder, so they have to answer and then all of a sudden the dialogue starts going and then they start knowledge sharing. Then then the database guys get to understand. Oh yeah, it might be smart to fix it in graphics and not in the database. Um, and uh, so so all, the, all of a sudden they start to communicate and they start to collaborate because they see ah, the solution might not necessarily be within my specific area of HCs it might be that somebody else have the answer and then the collaboration starts and then uh, and then we start to to work together so leadership through stupidity is just like throwing either the obvious or the question that nobody else nobody else in the room dares to ask throw mm-hmm. that out as the manager and as the leader post that stupid question uh, and then get all the bright answers from the from the excellent people in the room and it yeah. could be up to, I don't know, 12 people in, in like a brainstorming or something like that. A lot of people in the room, or it could be down to one, two people just going back and forth on it. And it could also, uh, the timely delivery goal, it's also like very, very simple. Like, I don't know how many times I've used that, saying that, uh, okay, so uh, when, when can we have that animation sequence uh, for that cut scene ready? Well, it's very hard to say, oh, uh, and then then the animators go, And uh, then, okay, fine. Is it one hour uh, or one year? Yeah, well, it's it's probably uh, neither. Okay, it's neither of those. Okay, is it closer to a year than than a day? Well, it's closer. So through stupidity, just wheel the answer in. And then when you get an answer, for instance, that is like, okay, it will take, say, a month. Uh, That's kind of like the estimate from the animators. And you know that, uh, well, we only have a week. uh, So then you can either take it in the direction of, um, uh, in in, in pinning down, what are the reasons why it takes a month? You generally, you you do know it, but of course, still pose this stupid question, even though you do know the answer. You could also turn it around and say that, well, given that we have a week, uh, should we go down to six frames per per second? Is that a possibility to start to, to play ball? On, on a more more professional scale, so to speak. So you take the, the leadership management role and bring it more and more in direction of, uh, of their specific uh, speciality and their specific skill, but do it through, what, what you say, an open hand of, of stupidity. Of posing stupid questions.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's a it's a really interesting sort of take on the, the sort of management style. And it's not something that I had actually come across before. And I was really interested to hear your sort of opinions on it and your thoughts on it. Um so I was just curious to you know, Johan, have have you ever sort of used that management style before? Is it something you've come across or something you know about?
1: Uh yeah, I know about that for sure. I think um I agree. I think it's good. I think I think what it is in a lot of ways to me, it's about, you know, being confident in who you are and and daring to ask those questions a lot of times. So I think it depends a little bit maybe on where you are in your career, right? Like if you're starting out as a manager or if you maybe just got promoted so you you were in a peer relationship but on your manager, then then it could be, you know, you feel like you really want to show off and like be super smart all the time. Uh, so so I agree with Tai. I think it's a good technique. It's it takes some maturity and some confidence in, in who you are, I think, <laughs> uh, but, but it, it works well, uh, for sure. I think the one thing to look out for, in my opinion, there is to, if you're too detached from what you're talking about, and you ask two stupid questions, then you can just kind of fall off the trust radar on the team, right? It's like, oh, this guy with his questions. I think that's, uh, <laughs> that's the only caveat I would have. You need to kind of have a little insight in what you're saying. The right stupid questions.
2: <laughs> that, that, that's correct just to follow up on that uh, i said the prerequisites of autonomous teams professionals blah, blah, blah. of course I'm, I'm a fairly old man i have done this for years and years and years and i wouldn't have done it like 15 years ago i, I would not be capable of doing it it is because I, I do really know a lot of the details of the individuals obviously they do know more I, I do stand by my initial uh, illustration of my own work as being the office uh, floor sweeper of creativity so uh, i do stand by that but of course uh, stupid questions is only I'm only capable of posing those based on a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience with the individual areas and then being frank on on actually realizing that as individuals and as professionals within their given field, they do know more. But what I'm the specialist in is not only asking the stupid questions, but also be able to understand the smart answers. That's of course, if you do not understand the smart answers, then it's a waste of time.
0: So mm. Yeah, yeah. Ruben, let's hear your thoughts on on this sort of topic then.
3: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I didn't know there was a name for it. Uh, I mean, I guess we, we all use it to <laughs> some extent. We, we, we all, I guess, ask a stupid question from time to time. But uh, what, what happened to me maybe is, uh, is, is, is similar, but uh, I found uh, very often, uh, a little bit more in the past, but I, I found that uh, often that, uh, for instance, one I was uh, working with uh, a producer, and uh, he had like two years in the shop already, um, and then uh, one day I realized that he didn't really know how for instance uh, version control works, uh, SVN works, and when people was talking about trunk and branch and so on, he has actually no real idea how that works, and and what I mean, and uh, what I realized is that it was too late for him to actually ask, because he was supposed to know, right? He was supposed to know, and the thing, I, and and then I realized that that's super dangerous, and and there is a, a lot of this that people uh, reach to a, to a point where it's like, now it's too late to ask a stupid question, so they don't ask. Um, especially maybe 10 years ago when you couldn't really Google, I mean, I guess you could always Google this, but it was a little bit harder to find some of the answer. Now, now I'm saying something obvious as a, a version control, but in general, like some question that, okay, you ask how come you don't know this? And the thing is people normally won't shut you. Actually, they will prefer that you ask late, that you don't ask, but uh, I think also part of, uh, for me, I think I'm, I'm very good at uh, asking stupid questions. Uh, so, But I also feel that, OK, even though I feel that I should know by now, if I don't know, they am OK to say, OK, you know what, I don't know. And I think when, when you are the leader or the manager and you ask a stupid question, you enable people to actually do the same thing. And that actually helps a lot, uh, like, for instance this kind of this producer. Because when I realized that, I start to do a lot of questions. And then I realized that you know, like, okay, there was a lot of people that was actually benefit from this, uh, and even have a, a moments where I, I was asking, like, to, to a group of people, do we all understand what we're talking about here? And some people, because I, I don't, you know, and like mm. then that. Uh, so I think this is, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. And I, uh, for example, working with data scientists, and if you don't come from that uh, uh, that aspect uh, of, uh, of of knowledge, then sometimes they use uh, abbreviation that you say, okay, I have no idea what you're saying. Can, can you explain what the p-value is? Because I don't know. And then, OK, sure, they will. Uh, but some people actually assume, OK, because some because I'm talking to you, and I'm the manager, you are supposed to know what I'm saying. And maybe it's my fault that I should actually not use abbreviation, or I should explain before. So yeah, yeah, I completely agree.
2: That's that's a very fair point, Ruben, that uh, as as if you as a manager or, or leader, whatever title that uh, carries, uh, ask those stupid questions, and then people start sharing, So, of course, with all the specialists, then they are all hyper-knowledgeable about their specific area. And uh, one experience that I've had, particularly with gaming, I haven't yet come by a sound guy that doesn't think that sound is the most important solution to all aspects of gaming, for instance. Every specialist uh, in the industry thinks that their speciality is where the solution to all core and root problems lie. And uh, then, of course, when, when they start playing ball and, and start to get to know one another and get to understand the, the qualities of, of other people, uh, then, then, the, uh, then, then the sharing and understanding uh, starts to go, go hand in hand. And that's where the, uh, the stupidity uh, questions that you as a leader can pose, uh, standing on solid ground of, of knowing these, the smart answers that's where it starts to facilitate the qualitative development of of the product that you actually together
0: can seek the smart solutions yeah johan did you want to come in on that uh
1: yeah no i just wanted to uh riff on something that ruben was saying which i was like i completely agree with about like asking those questions i think you often find that there's a lot of people in the room who are thinking the same thing and i think that's Speaking on, you know, be, being a good manager, I think, is having high-performing teams, right? And I think um, one of the best ways to do that is to get teams that trust each other and dare to ask those questions. I think it's it's a good way to kind of get to a very transparent team that's like, no, no, I feel comfortable to. It's fine to ask stupid questions. And I think that's, that's a good goal to have, right? Because I think you can feel it sometimes. If you have a new team or a team that doesn't work together that much, you have more of this kind of apprehension of communication. It's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't say, any- what do I know? I'm new, right? Mm-hmm. I think the imposter syndrome and all this stuff is super strong. So, uh, yeah, I think it's it. A- <clears throat> yes.
0: This, you, you talked about the, the very start of the conversation around um, the sort of timings where you said perhaps 15 years ago, you know, you wouldn't have used this sort of technique. And I'm just curious to know as to like, when, when did you feel, you know, like, oh, this is sort of a, a, a technique I can utilize as a manager. And where did you first sort of, come about learning this sort of process and sort of see the benefits of it?
2: Well, uh, I didn't learn the process and uh, the, the term management uh, leadership through stupidity is actually one that, that I coined myself. So Ruben, you haven't missed any leadership books. That's uh, <laughs> something that, that I, I turned out calling. But that was actually, uh, as Johan points out, that was actually in just realizing that in context after context after context, be it meetings, be it, being it uh ideations being in workshop whatever in i don't know how many contexts i went into then uh, those questions weren't asked and and uh, and lesser solutions were found because of it and then mm-hmm. i just realized okay uh, if if i'm the one with with the stars on the shoulder where people <laughs> have to ask uh, answer sorry when i ask they have to answer and they might think that i'm a complete idiot and moron but they still have to answer uh, then, then I know that I can facilitate shared knowledge instead of, uh, instead of siloed knowledge. Uh, and, and that is how, how to unlock potential, not only in the individual. And I, I do refer back to the introversy of a lot of people in the games industry uh, from, I don't know, it doesn't matter if they're database or illustrator or sound people, whatever, a lot of very, very beautiful, nice people. Who are very introverted, uh, and uh, and and helping them to realize their own potential and their shared potential, and the and the benefit of uh, of the crowd and the team uh, is a very rewarding process. And the real reward is in watching the better product grow out of it. Um, I think that's uh, that that's how I I regard it, and that's how I found it. It's just that well, we are all as Johan said. Well, we are all staying quiet. We all have like i don't know what uh hmm. now ruben you mentioned uh data science uh, aspects and uh, all the time when i when i have uh, reports uh from those guys if i if i get it as a written report i still have to look up ah, Pooh poo, and stop, stop, oh, well i do know them but i i <coughs> the, the number of abbreviations uh, in each specific field is so idiotic that as a generalist and as a leader and as a manager you cannot know them all And that's actually a good reflection of all the other people in the room who doesn't know that specific area too well so uh, actually you become you become like the beacon uh, or the symbol of the lack of knowledge of all the other individuals in the room
0: it's a it's a really interesting uh, topic so thank you for that question and uh, we've got some really good points out of that. and uh, thank you for for participating in that so we'll move on then in slightly different direction let's uh, come to johan and. ask your question, please, or let's hear your sort of thoughts on this topic.
1: Uh, Yeah, so my question, uh, I think the question is a very current one, and I think there's some interesting discussions to have about management styles and how you kind of deal with people and and differing opinions, and that is how do we get back to office after the pandemic um, and what that means? Because I think that's been super interesting from a leadership point of view that you have uh, you know, worked for a really long time and everyone's like, yeah, sure, you go to the office every day, no problem, I have everything set up, and now we have had this pandemic for a couple of years and uh, people change their routines super quickly, right, and it's it's fascinating to see how ingrained the kind of working from home culture has become and how people have, and even myself as well, right, have kind of switched through how your routines and how you deal with uh, uh, dropping kids from school and stuff like that, so, little bit curious about how you guys have, or uh, if you have had the chance to yet, or have you have mm-hmm. planned to to do that, so your your takes on that.
0: Yeah, and another fantastic question, because uh, I remember actually, sort of, whilst it was still lockdown, done a lot of podcasts over how to be a good manager whilst working remotely. Um, a lot of, I think, you know, that topic's been covered, widely around uh, around the world and sort of podcasts and other things of how how to manage well remotely uh but we're sort of living in a time where things are changing all the time and this is very modern world isn't it with all the technology so how do you become a good manager coming back into the office is a really interesting one one which probably not many people have had experience before so it's sort of a brand new thing so really interesting question uh Thies, let's come to you then and hear your thoughts on this
2: well, I, I regard it as the uh, as the manager role in facilitating that the employees come back, and I think the most important part in facilitating that is that even though a lot of people have a convenient workspace at home, that's very convenient. What what need what they need to experience in the workspace is uh, loveliness. They they need to come in and, and feel the warmth of the uh, of the colleagues, uh, the the joy of sharing. You have to have all the plus words uh, present in the office. So if you just have a, a dull, dull cubicle world, I assume you don't. But if you do have that, then of course they're going to stay at home, and they will find all kinds of arguments to uh, to stay for it to stay that way because it is more convenient. Of course, it is easier to to fit in a dentist appointment uh, at twelve when you're at home already, or uh, or bring the kids to uh, to school or pick them earlier. Whatever, there are a lot of convenience. But if you want to go from convenience to greatness, then your office space and the creative environment that you can, you can provide for your employees, uh, the collaboration opportunities that are completely lost, uh, more not completely, sorry, but more or less lost mm. in, a, in, in a work from home context. I think that's, that's the, the role of the management and leadership is to provide that, that wonderful uh, office space or creative space at work
0: yeah and people obviously have got like you said earlier set in the routines and very comfortable uh, it's been you know roughly around 2 years hasn't it so it's sort of changing that habit again to going changing the habit back to going in the office and it's an interesting one as to how you do that ruben what are your what's your sort of take on this then
3: yeah okay yeah it's 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 interesting what what is going back to normal actually i mean i guess we have a new normal now so mm. it's uh, i mean for instance what uh, also, it depends for for every for every company. It depends on. Also, it depends a lot for uh, for the position you are in. For instance, if, if you are asking an, an artist that is doing uh, something very specific for a month or two, then it maybe it doesn't matter for for him/her to to actually come to the office. But if you ask for a live ops programmer, how much it matters the, for, for for that person to be in the office? Then, well, you, re- you it will be amazing if you are in the office. So what what happened to us is that for instance, what we made is like optional to come to office uh, initially. And we start to see some traction after a year of people being at home. Then people start to actually come. I I can agree with taste in the fact that, for example, okay, we have good food and we have nice facilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's nice that uh, once you drop the kids at school because now they are going to school, then you actually come and then you don't need to worry about lunch. And then it's a, it's a nice place where you hang out and so on. So that people start to like. Um, second, for some people that had a lot of meetings, then. Uh, it's a little bit like watching TV all day, right? It, like your head hurts. So it's not the same to have a meeting in person, that you can just stand up and then go to have a coffee and come back. And actually being on a video call, Or, or I mean, I guess that the four of us, we know very well what is. But some people wasn't really used to that. And again, like a programmer wasn't really used to, to being a um, video call uh, very often. They did uh, and so on. So um, we see that people start to come to the office also because, uh, I guess if we say, okay, now it's mandatory every day. People will probably riot and bring with pitchforks and torches. (laughs) But since it was uh, like uh, optional, they they just discovered that, okay, it's not that bad. Um, Creatively, I will say that we suffered, maybe because we didn't know how to adapt or or a combination of it. Because even though we could still execute, we didn't really achieve greatness. Because the the discussions around when you go to a, a video call, you have a specific agenda. And then you know what you want to talk about. You don't just pass by and notice that someone is doing something, and it's a regular. Hey, what are you up to? I'm doing this. Oh no, but we shouldn't be doing this, or we should be doing that thing. So, I mean, you try to go to the point because you have back-to-backs all day long. So you actually try to, you know, cut the meeting short. You don't really want to talk to people uh, too much on video calls. You just want to finish the video call and move to the next video call. So you don't do that when you are meeting a person because that's not the point or that's mm-hmm. not how we interact. So what I noticed is creatively we suffer a lot. We suffer a lot of not having the, the game director walking, walking around the team and just saying like, won't be cool if we actually do this? You know, people was actually worried about executing and going cook dinner because I mean, I guess we all have the same thing when you are at home, uh, and then you are working, and you hear that the washing machine is over. Then okay, I'm gonna put the dryer now. So you you, you are like <laughs> you are in this mode that is really hard to to avoid. Uh, I, I don't I haven't spoken with many people that told me I'm more productive from home. Some did. For instance, that's uh, a scientist. They tell me like yes, sure, I need to do an analysis three days at home. Perfect for me. But now you can do that regardless. So now we have this kind of okay. If you really want to work from home, then you can stay at home for two days. That's okay. So now, now yeah. we do this. Um, two days a week are uh, optional. If you want to come, you come. If you don't want to come, you don't come. Uh, one of them is Friday, very convenient, uh, and the other days are mandatory to be at the office. Uh, for and and people took it super nicely. And to be honest, even the optional days, I would say 70% of the comp- maybe 60 is uh, actually uh, in the office. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah. but again, Copenhagen. So commuting time and so on are not really a concern. I mean, if you go to, I don't know, Buenos Aires, where commuting is a concern because you don't live in the city, you travel to the city to work, then this is, is a different question. Some people have to commute an hour, Philippines, you need to commit an hour to, to arrive to Manila, then you probably won't like to go to the office, even though, so, I mean, we yeah. need to also, geographically, it's better for us in a way.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. No, really interesting. Johan, let's come back to you and just hear your sort of thoughts on, you know, after hearing the other two guest opinions there. And uh, have you got any sort of examples of what you've been doing, you know, at Ubisoft then to sort of encourage people coming back and the way that you manage differently with people in the office?
1: Uh, Well, I think first, I I feel like uh, there's a lot of shared experiences with uh, working from home and coming back. I I hear what you guys are saying. I can relate to that. But I think to me, I think it's a bit a lot about um, you have one norm, right? And then you suddenly have four or five different ones. That is the challenge. And then I think what happens is that you kinda, it, it shifts the focus from the norm of being in the office to the norm of performing. Like where do you do your best job? And I think that's really interesting because then that discussion then suddenly becomes very multifaceted, right? Because you can have people doing better jobs at home, versus in the office. But then like Ruben said, you know, how do you get make sure they get to talk to the game director when he just walks across the room and has a you know stroke of genius? Like, oh Erika, <laughs> like we should do this. And, like, and and you miss out on all, all that stuff. So I think uh so I think to me, like we're also trying uh, a hybrid model and kind of trying to tailor that around teams and and I think also what you said Thais, is uh is good right like how how you need to make people feel comfortable and then kind of enjoy coming back right because there are these intangibles that you can't get at home like you actually meet people in the coffee machine you talk face to face and you you can have different interactions because i think it's to me it's been really hard like some some of the hardest meetings i think is to have creative brainstorming meetings Uh, on video right it's it's really really hard because it's you kind of wait you take turns and you're waiting for someone to finish and that's just not how it works so yeah I think um, I think it's interesting I think I think it's uh, to me it 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 puts the focus on as a manager then kind of stay on topic for the for the for the call I think it it puts more focus on individuals and people uh, and you have to match that with what you want to do as a company. Um,
0: did you want to come in there yeah just it, it, video calls
2: and and the whole uh distance thing it, it's very good for uh, as you says ruben like a specific reports so on you know exactly that okay we need to deliver let's just use the example of a report because everybody knows that okay i need to grind this amount of work and i, I and i have a set goal and uh, i can do it myself and that's like the classic work from home uh, don't disturb me kind of case and at the other end uh, Johan, your example of, of like the, the creative director just stumbling by and, oh, oh, my God, we need a dwarf in this game. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, then, uh, and then all of a sudden that creates creative spark, I mean, video calls, they're not creative sparks. They are efficient, uh, they are convenient, and, and they have all the check marks uh, of, of a good, efficient machine running. They don't have the hallmarks of, of a sparkling painting and a creative environment. Uh, I have done workshops as well uh, on, on video call. That is horrid. That's horrid. <laughs> absolutely nothing good comes out of that. Your soul gets sucked into the screen and, uh, and everybody is just like suffocating. It's horrible. Um, so technically it is possible. I mean, I do a lot of uh, innovation facilitation and stuff like that. Uh, and it is possible for me to run through the agenda and I can do all the posters and I, I have the smartest uh, virtual whatever. And, and it's still horrible. Uh, and, and no no human collaboration comes out of it. Uh, facts can, can shift hand and, and the tasks can be distributed, all that kind of stuff. But creativity and loveliness and togetherness and stuff like that never translates on a video call. And that also goes for, for other aspects of that remote or work from
0: home situation. But it's convenient to turn back to the beginning of yeah. uh, the whole thing. I think... Like you said earlier, we're sort of living in the moment of it, aren't we? It's not something that's been really experienced before. So, and we're sort of not all the way back out of COVID, even though we're like right at the very end of it. So it will be sort of interesting to monitor over the next couple of months and this next year as to how it's going to go and getting people back into the office. Um, but another really interesting question. So thank you, Johan. Uh, well, that's we're, we're two questions in. So usually about the halfway point, I like to have a little breakaway from the questions, and I'm going to throw a question in there, which uh, I'm going to ask all of you: is to what is your favourite game at the moment? I'm just interested to know what you're playing, and uh, our listeners uh, get to hear what what your sort of recommendations are out there for what to get playing at the moment. So Dias I'm going to come to you first. What what would you recommend then? What are you playing at the minute?
2: I can recommend, it, it sounds like I'm plugging uh, our own catalog, uh, <laughs> I will be, but, uh, uh, but uh, since we just uh, acquired a, a Canadian company and uh, just took over their portfolio, um, then uh, actually uh, one of our old games called uh, Tiny Rails, it's like a 90's pixelated uh, uh, t- train strategy thing where you're traveling the world and uh, mm-hmm. everything is right at your hand uh, and i think i've uh, I, I really love it uh, i think i'm on day 80 in a row of playing it and it's it's actually one that i needed to play in the beginning uh, because i was forced to because we, we we were just about to to buy them and just i i was not involved in it personally but it was like okay we just play through that portfolio and let's see uh, just just give us your opinion uh, everything was going on anyhow but uh, so mm-hmm. I was forced to play this game and as has as has happened before in my career when I'm like uh, when I have to review something either for inspiration or for uh, like my boss tells me okay you you have to know this game because some mechanic blah 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 then I, I play through it and uh, rarely but in this case of tiny rails it happens that I actually really love it myself so nice. tiny rails Tiny uh, rails. okay. From, uh, from yours truly, company. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so
3: Lovely. Sorry
0: to, sorry to pluck our own stuff. <laughs> no, it's not a problem. Ruben, go on then, what's yours?
3: Okay, okay. I play a lot of mobile, so I'm going to stay away from mobile. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> I'm not going to, no, you, but I mean, obviously, I play a lot of competition. You know one game that I really love, and it's uh, called uh, Shipbreaker. It's uh and I play, I play that game a lot. It's like, uh, I don't know, it's on Steam. I don't know how I found it. Probably the game found me like it uh, happened these days. It's just this game about there is like you're a, some sort of technician and you just need to break ships and sell the parts away. There is no enemies, no, exp- you can explode. Uh, but uh, <laughs> in general, it's so I mean, I, I really love the fact that it's, it, it looks beautiful and it's just so simple. You just need to disassemble something and you need to, it's like a big, giant puzzle in the space because you don't know how you're going to disassemble this thing. You cannot just go and, uh, and, and open it. You need to find the right way. And it's just so relaxing. It's a probably the, the, it's the only game I play. I mean, I don't play much, to be honest, besides some mobile games that I have to. But in general, when when I have a little bit of free time, I, I play that. I was playing That's- a lot of Satisfactory before. I don't know if you guys know it. So Satisfactory is a really good like game. It's like, uh, yeah. I mean it's a production game, so basically you you need to automate the production and so on. It's uh, it, I really nice. love that game. What was the what was the first one called with the ships? What was it? Shipbreakers. Shipbreaker
1: is it a hard space shipbreaker or something like that. Yes, hard space uh, shipbreaker. Ah, nice. That's
3: that's that's the game. Uh, cool. You should check it out. I don't even know the developer, so sorry I cannot shut out, but it's a pretty
0: nice <laughs> game. Cool. Uh Johan, what's yours?
1: Uh, I'm going to go with the game I'm not playing yet, but it has to be Elden Ring. Oh, yeah. Since That's I'm like a massive uh, From Software nerd, so. <laughs> <laughs> Checking my uh, uh, tracking number for that parcel uh, every <laughs> 15 minutes. <laughs>
0: You're going to have to set some time aside away from work to, uh, to get through everything.
1: Yeah, or maybe, you know, it's a reference gathering. Who knows? <laughs>
3: <laughs> Put some office hours into it but,
1: but I can echo satisfactory I think that's super cool I love that game as well I think it's like it's uh, yeah. Fantastic. something to check out it's the ambition of it, it's amazing it's,
3: yeah I mean it's a
0: beautiful game uh, cool, brilliant so now some great games there so uh, we'll carry on with the questions of the podcast then so our last question of the day is going to come from Ruben so Ruben
3: please can you uh, explain your question to us sure so my my, my question was mainly about the production so it's like the question itself was okay how do you remain lean uh, when you scale a company when you work with big teams so my 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 uh, the context of this is like when, when you when you work with a team which is 10 20 people then you are lean by default because you are like a manager or a leader you do a lot of things right sometimes you if you work with unity you work a little bit with unity and sometimes you also like um, Prepare the coffee. You you do what, and then you do some QA because when your team is small, then you you can basically be very lean and be very efficient, and you make very fast decisions because everybody is in the same room. But how do you actually remain lean when you have a team of 100 people, 200 people, or something? Like that? I guess we all work with the big teams now. I mean, I used to work, for instance, with a studio of 800 people, a studio of 500 people. Uh, so I mean, the the, the challenges of uh, not throwing a producer to every single problem you have it's uh, i mean you always have the intention right so, okay now let's put a producer here and let's have some uh, management layers here and that will fix the problem so i know if i'm explaining myself properly or what you what your thoughts are about these yeah. guys yeah let's come to you then first
2: well, I'm. I think you should throw the ball at me first all the time. But anyway, uh, let me. <laughs> uh, now, uh, as we are in between, like a uh, very few people and several hundred. Uh, so, just for for reference, we are around fifty people uh, now, and uh, and that is. Uh, and since we're working on many titles, so let, let's give me like the middle-sized version of that conundrum, which it is. Uh, we have just established, and uh, we are rolling out. We have. State three of rolling a production and collaboration methodology uh, out, um, uh, and we have that kickoff tomorrow. So, uh, and we have rolled it out to the first ten teams. The structure is uh, sure. and how we approach it and how it uh, it will scale for us up till at least a couple of hundred people is that we define uh, productions in teams. Uh, teams have uh, have core uh, relations to a product. Those teams are not bigger, and that should be understood, that they're not bigger than 20 people. So uh, no more than 20 people uh, are related uh, to one production at any given time. Then with the teams, we work with uh, the individuals in the team being either core members of that team, or extended members of a certain team. So if you're a core member of a team, that means that that is where you kind of like belong, where you throw most of your time, where uh, where you are at the the planning meetings and all that. You participate in the full life of that team. Um, And if you're an extended member of a team, say you have a core team being at our Warhammer production, for instance, that's your core membership, but uh, at one of our football titles, because you are a, a graphics genius, then, uh, then you, you help out with GUI for our football title, for instance. Then you have extended membership of that team. That means that that you do know where you belong, and it is fairly clear where you put your resources in the overall organization. But still, you have like a belonging to the Warhammer team, and you have a, a relation to the football team. And then for all the teams we have, for all the productions that we have going, we have around eight concurrent game productions uh, going um, and, and sustaining live games and stuff like that. So, so we have a fairly big operation uh, given our long history um, and because we are mobile and our games are live uh, and still being operated, then, um, then, then people have the, these core memberships and extended memberships of different teams. And that is how we keep people engaged and that's how we scale the operation. The reason why we don't have to throw a lot of producer resources, as you mentioned, Ruben, you can always throw middle management resources after every problem. The, the way that we avoid that is that we, uh, we, have a different, we have a different role. We do work with a Scrum-inspired uh, uh, method, but it is very, very far from being Scrum. So if we had a Scrum consultant coming to our office, he will start to hit me very hard in the head with a baseball bat uh, because we're doing uh, very significant uh, breaks away from, from the norm of Scrum. But one of the breaks that we make is that we make uh, managerial guidance very light. So uh, the product owner in our case uh, is still called a product owner, but they are very different from the, the classic agile Scrum product owner where that controls all the little tasks and stuff like that. Managerial direction, is done by a one-liners and then by engagement at uh, at, uh, at reviews. So um, so team autonomy and trust in teams from top management is very very important in uh, in working this way that we do at Trophy Games. So mm-hmm. we, we have very autonomous teams uh, that do not have individual producers and uh, and individual middle middle management man- middle management sorry like that. Um, so we do approach it quite differently. So it probably wouldn't work for all, but
0: uh, it works for us. No, it's, it's interesting to hear, uh, Johan. Let's uh, come to you then. Uh,
1: yeah. Um, well, first off, I think this is really hard uh, to get right because it's, it kinda, it kind of breaks in one hand. It's one of those kind of you know the squishy balls, and you p- press it, and it always kind of squishes out in one hand. <laughs> like, but but I think to me, um, I think it's it's. I think it's mainly an organizational issue actually, I think it's 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 fairly straightforward thing to, to have the team agile, if you can give them the right ownership and the right kind of creative frame to be, to operate within, right? Like if they know what they're doing and they feel confident with with that and they have kind of, yeah, we can do this, we got this, um, I think that works. But then I think it can break down sometimes if you fail to then... Uh, let the rest of the organization know how your team is operating, right? Or, you know, you maybe get a gap, so your team is performing well, but uh, you fail to align or sync with another department, so the work they outputted wasn't that good, right? And that leads to a lot of kind of conflict and and problems, I think. So I, I think I would I could split it into three three areas for me. I think it's like, one, try to get your team to be owning what they're working with, like give them that confidence, that type of talking about. And then and two, make sure you then communicate what your team is about and what you're doing, uh, and also communicate back to the team so they know what's going on. Uh, and then three, try to set up your whole organization to, to have this trust. So, so there's a trust from uh, sideways and up and down as well, which is super hard, right? I think it's because what happens, and specifically now in the pandemic, I felt also it's really hard to keep those communication links alive. So you guys, this like, yeah, it's been three months since we talked. Like oh fuck, uh, <laughs> and then and then you can really test uh, uh, trust and so forth. But yeah, no, I think some something like that. I think is yeah. We to solve
0: this. Yeah, Ruben, what's the what's your sort of thoughts then uh, after hearing
3: that from Theos uh, and Johan? Yeah, I completely agree that is very hard. yeah, uh, <laughs> that's that, 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 that for sure. I, I think that there is also uh, yeah. Uh, it's nice to, obviously, if, if you can kind of stick to 20 people, then, then I think that's uh, that's amazing. Actually, we, we always uh, try to have, okay, let's have a maximum of 20 people. Let's say if you have a small operation, a small studio somewhere, which because indeed it proven to work uh, pretty good, and it's, uh, it's very lean to, to manage that way. But also when you have a content production, when, I mean, content delivery is always like, a, it's, sometimes it's about numbers, right? So, I mean, if you, you have 10, 10 artists or you have 20 artists, 30 artists, then you, you can double the output and triple the output because sometimes it's, it's a matter of uh, having more people in, in, in the machine. So, then is when it becomes uh, a little bit hard. Um, so, we manage differently. I mean, one thing that in terms of um, company-wise, Tactile, what we try to do is like we align. So, for example, we do have the, the company goal, which is, okay, this year, this is what we want to achieve. And then we we let the every, every team to actually say, okay, some satellites like OKRs. So every team to actually come and say, okay, how we're gonna chip into this uh, to this objective. So, you know, the, the the game team will say, okay, this is how we're gonna do it. So this is what it's going to do. And then the opinion for this, so the, the different games will know how they actually want to chip in. And the marketing team will say, okay, then we will do this. And then the core team, which is basically all the guys doing the infrastructure and so on, they say, okay, then this is what we need to do. So everybody kind of align, and then we chunk it into quarters, and then we know okay, every quarter this is what we're going to deliver, and then you have that in all the world. So if you walk uh, in the tactile offices, everybody can know at every point like what are the objectives that we have, what we are doing right now, and every team. Sure, we have a, we have tools that you can go and check, but in general, just by walking. Now I'm not in the office, but otherwise you will see that there is always a, a poster with uh, what we're That proves to be pretty useful for us in terms of. Alignment, at least company-wise, um, but then you have the the other problem, which is okay. How do you make sure that people knows who to contact and uh, who to ask? And that's one of uh, the big problem. I mean, when you have a small team and everybody's in the same floor, is one thing. Now we have five floors, so like, uh, and we grow like a hundred people. We hire a hundred people in a year. Uh, most of them were working from home when we hired them. So imagine suddenly people is at the office and they don't know names, they don't know people. So this is uh, quite uh, quite challenging as well and quite interesting. So I mean there is a lot of uh, workshops. So basically, mm. maybe you want to to talk now, uh, Johan. So I, you don't miss a point.
1: Oh no, it's like, no I no, it's just That's fine. I was just thinking about um, uh, some experiences at, at, at dice. Like it, I think it's like it's important to allow your, I think it depends a little bit on how well performing your team is, what they need, right, and how much you can kind of uh, give them. But I think also kind of allowing your team to be really like heads down and living in their problem space. Uh, but then also, then I think it becomes your job as a manager to make sure that you uh, get them to share what other people are doing, because I think a typical um, an indicator over this is a problem is that people start to worry about stuff and they worry about the other departments. And you ask like, but well, what about your departments? Like, no, we're, we're doing great. We're on time. <laughs> don't worry about it. We got this. But those guys, I don't know. <laughs> and i think like, oh, okay. Hmm. And then you go ask them and they're like, no, no, we're great. Level design though. No idea what's going on there. Doesn't look great. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. So then I think it becomes uh, also a communications uh, issue. And I think something I mean, an obvious one, right, I think it's just trying to get, get teams to share and I think that comes back to something we talked about earlier as well with the trust and the feeling safe to, to show work in progress and all the stuff, because like get get your team to share outwards, like have the team meetings have the silly presentations you know, show videos, do all that uh, do all that stuff mm-hmm. yeah. So, okay
3: and, and, and to finish the yeah we do a lot of like workshops so people can actually subscribe and then uh, like okay then now you will see okay how the cinematic artists work on how the game designer work or how these people work so people to actually know okay this is how because there is so many areas like the marketing people doesn't really know how we do content and maybe the, the content people doesn't really know how actually that content gets into production because they don't know what the developers are doing so that's um or like Nobody knows what level designers are doing because they have their own silo and they're just producing levels. And then the way we consume levels really doesn't relate to the story, but it does in a way. So yeah, I think it's um, yeah, it's pretty interesting to to see how how you make actually all the pieces to to fit together uh, and uh, in, into one. So and and then the, the I think one of the biggest problems that the, that we face is that I mean for like two hundred eighty people. That we have, uh, we have like two producers uh, working, which is uh, I would say fairly fairly good uh, uh, Mm -hmm. number, Um, and and we have plenty of of game. And um, one of the problems that that I find very often is that when non-ting people specifically, they don't complain enough. So like actually just passing by, and that's something that in the pandemic was also a problem. Just passing by someone and. hearing that they were saying, oh, they are so happy because uh, today, Unity didn't crash. Uh, <laughs> and they say "Like, what do you mean that you are happy because Unity didn't crash? And they are like, well, uh, you know, normally crash two, three times a day. Why you didn't tell anyone? Yeah, but you know, that's how it works. No, that's not how it works. Yeah. You know? Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not how it works. I mean, when this started to happen, three months ago, I said, Jesus Christ, you are <laughs> that this crashed. I mean, you should be like uh, flipping the table and rioting." And they have, like, tons of these things where, like, if a producer is in that team, the producer will right away say, stop everything. Now we fix this problem. But the producer is not in the team because the team doesn't work like that. So, they, like, people doesn't complain too often because they don't know what they don't know, basically.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting one. Go on, Theos. Yeah,
2: it's just to follow up on what you're saying, Ruben. In the... uh as it, uh, mentioned we have kickoff on stage three of this collaboration methodology blah 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 that's not interesting well it is it's very interesting but uh, the purpose here is <laughs> that um, we go through the methodology and it, it has all the tweaks and blah 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 and then what i say in the beginning of that kickoff and in the end because it's the third time i'm going to do it is that the one we have one tagline with that whole methodology of working together and all the tools that goes with it and all the team flexibility and all that one line and that's the only responsibility that all employees at Trophy has. If you're stuck, speak up. That's, that's your only responsibility. If something is hindering you in being great, it's your responsibility to speak up. And that's the only responsibility you have. Then it is, uh, finally, it, it's my responsibility to fix it. So if you don't know who else to speak to, to come talk to me. Then I have the problem. So if, if, if you're sitting there staring into a blank screen because Unity doesn't run, then the only responsibility you have is make make somebody uh, make the most reasonable person aware that you're that you're stuck. So if you're stuck, speak up.
3: Come here. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. But one, one, I mean, when it's about bugs, then then for me it's mind blowing that people doesn't complain. But sometimes it's about you know like an artist where like okay, I finished my PSD file now, how that gets into Unity, right? And then let's say. Um, Two years ago, I remember, or three years ago, when I when, when I showed tactile like the, the way it was very manual, right? And then they will just import it, and then the PSD. I mean, it was a bit of a mess, and then the, there was a lot of manual work for the artists involved on in that. And then when I asked an artist like, "Why didn't you talk to a programmer?" and then we can fix this, and he was saying like, I, "I don't know. That's that's how I'm used to do." Because I mean, when when you're not a technical person, how do you know that the script will fix that thing for you? You have no idea. Uh, so for me, what what is still a challenge is OK, how do you fix this thing? I mean, what we did last time, it was basically as a programmer, OK, can you actually go and uh, do it by yourself? Can you import this to Unity and see what you can actually do about it, which is a recommendation I do pretty often, and I also do but with myself. Like, I do also myself. It's like, whenever there is something new, I just do it myself first. And then uh, then <laughs> most of the time, you discover that, OK, this is probably you know pretty inefficient. Mm-hmm. Then uh, And sometimes when you, are, when you ask a programmer, OK, can you do this? Uh, then they will find a way to automate it very quickly, um, because because that that's how that's how the role and well an artist is like they are amazing at what they do, but okay they don't know that this could be fixed. So yeah, that, that's that's the for me one of the challenges of working without a producer is how people are actually thinking on this tooling. Mm.
2: Got this if i'm understanding you correctly ruben that's one of the important things when setting up new pipelines and I, if, if if i hear your your thing correctly that's at least how i hear it mm-hmm. uh, is that uh, that you you always do a pipeline check first so you're not throw let's say a graphics pipeline for instance you're not throwing real graphics through it you're just checking that okay do we have alignment on uh, on textures uh, uh, how do we understand vertices and uh, all that stuff so you just see okay we we have a we have a hole through the pipeline. It actually works, uh, and then you start to to uh, to work on actual uh, stuff. If I understand your, uh, your your example correctly,
3: yes, that's that's one way. Yes, I mean the, 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 obviously I'm not a, an artist, but I mean the pipeline that works in many other cases, right? I mean it can go from the QA, from the people from user support. You know, like uh, the, the 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 way the I don't know they used to reply to messages from the user, and they just realized like okay, but this is really hard how you do this thing. You know, and it's like, I don't know. I'm hired to reply messages. That's what I'm doing. You know, sure you, you're not doing anything wrong. It's says that it could be more efficient if we do it that way. And the <clears> thing is, people doesn't know that complain is okay, but because it's not. I mean, I'm saying complain for lack of a better word. But you know, like just basically saying like there is any like they don't challenge the status quo in a way. So, and that's one of the things that, for instance, going to the topic of going back to normal, like. We were completely blind in most of these places during the pandemic because it's like we did so many things that they were inefficient. I mean, it's like if you have a a graphic designer, you want them to be drawing like 99% of the time, right? That 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 will be the goal. So all the rest of setting up and doing things that are not really are related, then you don't want them there, right? But some of this has to happen. If you have a tester, you want the tester to be testing and to reporting what it's doing and so on. So, all these things, okay, the complexity of installing and ordering builds and finding the builds and all this, you don't want that thing as well. So, I mean, I don't know. I can't speak out about it, So, <laughs> don't worry. Uh, you were my point. No,
0: no, it's a brilliant topic. And I'm sure we could, I'm sure we could talk a lot longer about all the different topics. But um, I think we can, we can leave it there for today. I mean, that's all all our three questions. Um, so thank you very much guys for participating. Uh, a lot of great discussion in there. Um, if anyone wants to join the next podcast, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. But uh, if we're leaving it there, I'll take this opportunity to thank Dias, Johan and Ruben uh, for their participation today and all your guys' questions and discussions. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you.
3: you
0: very much,
2: Andy. Thank you.
3: Take nice care. to meet you guys. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Bye. See you.